Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Care Patrol of Connecticut in New York is your number one partner for securing safe senior living options and navigating the senior care continuum. Their services are at no cost to you, and they guide you through the entire process. Visit www.carepatrolct.com for details. And joining us now in studio is Alex Talbis. And now that I will remember, it's two syllables, Alex. Alex is a crusading young attorney. He graduated Yale Law School in 2015. And since then, he's made his name in the state and continues to grab headlines for taking some extraordinary, not just cases, but some might even say causes, uh, up. And uh, I wanted to get to know him and talk a little bit and get a little bit deep into some of the more recent cases and causes that he is taking up. Alex Talbis, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. A pleasure. Now, I want to do this so that I can see your eyes. I'm really annoyed with this stupid thing here. Is that, How's that That's better? much better. That's okay. great. And thank you for coming in studio. So first, first, let's talk about this wrongful conviction case because- Malik Jones. I'm all about justice. Thank you. And I want to understand, first of all, is Mr. Jones still in jail? He is currently incarcerated, yes, <laughs> as wrongfully as can be. We filed a motion as as- you may know, last month, federal judge Janet C. Hall issued a ruling saying that Malik Jones was wrongfully convicted. Unfortunately, very unfortunately and disappointingly, the state of Connecticut's prosecutor's office has filed an appeal. So they're challenging Judge Hall's ruling. They're trying to stand behind this wrongful conviction and trying to keep it going. So we filed a motion for bail for Malik Jones pending the appeal on Monday. And the, Judge Hall read the motion and issued a show cause order this on Monday afternoon, uh, ordering the state to file its response, showing cause why Malik Jones should remain incarcerated by Monday, October second. And well, I still have a couple so weeks. still three weeks of of incarceration at least for Malik before he will see freedom after more than thirty one years since he was nineteen years old, now a fifty year old man. 
and a man who has had not a single rule violation behind the bars since 1997. Has he been in a maximum security prison? Where has he been? He's been in level four facilities, Wow. which is the next to the highest for most of Connecticut's history. So what was he accused of? He was accused of the October 1992 murder of Eddie Harp in New Haven, Connecticut, outside of St. Raphael's Hospital. Um, and we know he didn't commit the crime. We know that there were two shooters and that one of those shooters falsely implicated Malik Jones, although he's now since come out and admitted that he lied, um, that those two shooters killed the victim and that Malik Jones wasn't even there, wasn't even um, anywhere near St. Raphael's on the night of the murder. He wasn't even there? Did Not, he have an alibi? Was he with someone else? He absolutely had an alibi witness. Um, but uh, the main, the most important thing is that the main, there was one eyewitness to the murder okay. who was not connected to the crime, who was not one of the shooters, you know, the, the, and, her, and sh- her name was uh, Sheila McRae. Okay. And the state of Connecticut, the New Haven Police Department, they all knew that she witnessed the murder. She had no connection to anyone except for the victim. She worked for Yale New Haven Hospital, no criminal record. But they never brought her forward to testify. Why? They, well, because they had their man, and they didn't but want her to come forward. how did they have forward. a man that you say wasn't even on scene? How did it happen that this poor man was arrested? They got the, one of the guys who did it to say that there was a third shooter, Malik, and they gave him a deal, a plea bargain, in exchange for saying that Malik was the third shooter. And that was one of the that was actually one of the rulings that Judge Hall ruled against us on because she said there wasn't enough proof of the deal. But the deal was that this this individual uh, Spears, if he testified against Malik, the prosecutor, now Judge David Gold, would go to the sentencing judge of Spears when he was sentenced for manslaughter and put in a good word with the sentencing judge so that he would get a reduced sentence in exchange for Why testifying Malik against Jones, Malik. Why Malik Jones, of all the people out there, what, what was going on? Was Malik Jones involved in some bad yeah, activity Yeah, no, I mean, he wasn't a, a choir boy. They didn't pick him up, you know, singing Bible verses on the well, way to church. Yeah, no, he, and, and frankly, he has, uh, he had a prior criminal record at the time. At 19. And, yeah, at 19 years old. And, um... And so it it was not easy with a jury in New Haven at that time, um, I believe a mostly white jury, if not all white jury, to for them to really understand the lifestyle he was living. Malik was homeless at that time. Was he really? He was living on the streets. He didn't have a family supporting him. And so and he had an attorney who Judge Judge Hall ruled was ineffective for not bringing that witness to his defense and calling her to the stand. To have her say, I was there, I knew the victim, I worked with him, that man did not shoot the victim. She did not come, she was not able to testify in a court until 15 years later. Is she alive now? She is, and she was at the hearing with Judge Hall, in front of Judge Hall, and Judge Hall could not understand why she was not called and why she was not found to be credible. She had no connection to anyone. No criminal record. Does she remember the events even now? Absolutely. And she's calling for Malik Jones to be released from prison. And he's still behind bars after 31 years. But this is what happens in cases of wrongful conviction. The state is enormously resistant to admitting that it made a mistake. And after the truth comes out, when Sheila McRae uh, finally came out, uh, 
It's been years since then. It's We're been chatting over with 10 Alex years. Talbis, who is the, how did you find out about this case, Alex? A lot of people know about Malik Jones's case. Um, activists in the community like James Jetter of, the, of Dwight Hall at Yale and the Full Citizens Coalition, um, Sarah Stillman, a reporter with The New Yorker, who taught Malik Jones while she was teaching a class at the Correctional Institution, um, J.O. Richardson, head of Connecticut Bail Fund. They all told me about Malik, and I formed a personal relationship with him over phone calls before I was ever his attorney. He hired me over the weekend. Hired me over the weekend to file the bail motion. He had other attorneys. He has no money to pay you. Do you do this for free? You do this pro bono? Um, well, he. I was paid some amount yeah. of money. You How know, does he have Maybe money? not as much as my. How does he as have a corporate any money? I mean, he's, there's he's, people outside of prison who support him. Okay. There's people outside of prison who 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 don't like to see what's going on and are willing to put some of their money okay. toward uh, providing him with the best possible legal representation. Because I frankly cannot. Uh, represent people pro bono. I have one case in a wrongful conviction. The Too state much puts, work. The state puts all of its resources to defending convictions even when they're wrong. Um, I have one pro bono case for a wrongfully convicted man, um, James Hilton, who at his trial, the state's medical examiner at the time, uh, Arkady Katznelson, who had retired from the Soviet Union as a medical examiner, uh, said that it was a point-blank gunshot wound, that he sh came up and shot the victim in the head point-blank. The reality was was that my client was standing next to the victim when he was shot from far away, and the guy fell into his arms. Oh, my goodness. My guy, James, had no expert at his trial 20 years ago to rebut Dr. Katznelson. But now, Dr. Cyril Wetched, who worked on the Warren Commission, JFK assassination, who's done 40,000 autopsies, one of the most recognized, esteemed medical examiners in the country, looked at the autopsy, looked at the photographs, looked at all of the evidence and concluded, there's no way it could have been a point-blank gunshot wound. It was a long-distance shot fired from far away. And even though the state has not put forward anyone to contradict Dr. Wetched, Dr. Wetch testified in front of a, a judge. He has a written report. It's proven that this can't be a point-blank gunshot wound. The state argued point-blank, point-blank, point-blank 13 times in their closing argument. They still won't admit anything with regard to James Hilton. They act like nothing is wrong, and I'm we're crazy for bringing this. So, Alex Talvis, we had on Maya Moore. You know Maya Moore? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so she's a famous uh, UConn basketball player, and her last name is now Maya Moore. Okay, my producers are having the same brain freezes I'm having. It's not helpful to me. I love her to pieces. Anyway, Maya Moore. Maya Moore. Oh, what's her last name? Anyway, she married Jonathan. She married a Jonathan, I remember, because that's my son's name. She ended up marrying the man. Do you know the story of Maya Moore? I do. Alex I Havis? know the story, yes. Right. And so basically it's another story, but it happened in a different state, of a man who was wrongfully convicted. And the story is, and this is why Maya came on with such passion, the story is that once the state found out that her husband, who was not her husband at the time, was wrongfully convicted, they still didn't want to let him go. No, they keep fighting for years That and was years. what I'm trying to say. And that really stuck with me. It that, bothers me. Yes. It's one thing to have an injustice. It's another thing to compound the injustice by your stubborn refusal to acknowledge the injustice. So Daryl Valentine is a client of mine who was framed for a double murder and given 100 years in prison. We got 57 years taken off his sentence by the parole board, and he's a free man now. 
Why did he not do it? Of co- no, he didn't do it. He's completely innocent. He was framed by a corrupt New Haven police detective named Joe Green, who is known for framing black men in the early 1990s, late 1980s, in a string of cases that have been proven. Um, and Irons, Maya Moore Irons. And the state, while we were getting Daryl out, had this unit called the Conviction Integrity Unit. There's okay. 95 of these around the country. But 43 of them have never exonerated a single person. So many of them are just there for show. Connecticut's is one of those. It exists, but it's never exonerated anyone. The first case that they produced a report on, did a full investigation of, that they accepted as plausibly wrong, was Daryl Valentine. And they produced the report, unbeknownst to us, while I was trying to get him out on mercy, like from the parole board. After we got him out, and they could no longer take credit for getting him out, They took out all references to police misconduct by Joe Green out of their report. I know because I have the draft report and the final. And then they recommended that no action be taken on his conviction. So now Daryl is free, but with two murder convictions on his record for life. So how does he go about in life? He has to keep fighting. That's why he's hired me. I'm just saying, how could he ever get an apartment? How could he ever get a job? John Doyle, the New Haven State's attorney. Yes. It's on his desk. Yes. And he could make it right. He could file a motion in the New Haven Superior Court to open the case, dismiss the conviction. It's now in his court because the conviction unit has finished its review. The unit produced a report, which then went to a panel. The panel recommended no action after the police misconduct was taken out. But the panel's decision is not final. The final decision is John Doyle, New Haven State's attorney. All the information, all the evidence, the draft report is on his desk as well with the evidence about Joe Green. Alex, I'm going to take you away from arguing that particular case for a moment. (laughs) We're chatting with Alex Taubas. I want to just talk, generally speaking, you have now had a chance. I'm going to have to keep you over the hour because I also want to talk about the Trump situation. But I'm curious to know, you're a a young man, you graduated Yale Law School, you're nobody's fool. What do you think is the psychology, what is the motivation behind, for example, this case in front of uh, Judge Hall, the order to show cause that she just issued, the fact that the prosecutor is appealing her? What's the motivation? Why can't they leave it to say, okay, we tried our best, the judge says he's got to come out. Why appeal it? I mean, I have my personal opinion that I think a lot of people are not going to like, which is that when the state does admit that it's wrong, they have to compensate the person who they who they wronged. And there's nothing that they hate more than to see a black man get millions of dollars, even if it's because they wronged the black man. You think it's a race thing? 100% it's a race thing. What's the majority of people who experience this and a state that's not majority black and it's 100% an issue of race. Um, I mean, and even in our Connecticut Supreme court, if you look at the decisions they make, the only time in the last 20 years that they've really taken a wrongful conviction seriously was Skakel, a white man with Kennedy connections. They, and they, his case, if you read, the decision, Judge, I mean, if you read the decisions and the opinions and then you read the average opinion they write about a black man who claims he was wrongfully convicted, it's like reading two very different courts on different planets. So 
there's two legal systems, unfortunately, and for the record, we are on radio. Alex <laughs> Taubus is not Alex Taubus is not black. I'm not black. I'm white. Um, I grew up in Madison, Connecticut, a segregated town. You know, that's Justin's to, town. And I went to Daniel Hand High School. Graduated there, class of 2007. So I know a thing or two about you know the Connecticut color line. You know, and that we have two Connecticut's, and it's a, a place that has a long way to go to reach its ideals of equality and justice for all. And wrongful convictions, unfortunately, is a species of things that happen to people in prison or to people who are convicted of crimes or have criminal records don't get as much concern or consideration. So, for example, solitary confinement or abuses in the prison system get less consideration and attention because it's primarily people of color who experience incarceration. That's your conclusion. That's my opinion. That's your opinion. That's just my opinion. 203-333-9422. We're chatting with Alex Taubus, who I have to call a crusading young attorney. I won't be able to call you a crusading young attorney forever. I'm I'm 34 years old. But now you're still a crusading young attorney for sure. Yes. You're licensed to practice in state and federal courts and lots of other places. You won an appeal in the Second Circuit on the issue of prison gerrymandering. Yes. I want to hear about that. I also want to hear in the next... Do you have time to stay with us over the hour? As long as you need, yes. Yeah, I want you to stay because I really want to hear... I know you're making the argument that Donald Trump should not be on the Connecticut ballot. And I really want to hear what you think are the legal underpinnings of the argument and and how you are going about as a matter of process. Who do you think has standing to make that argument? I know that you're not the only one making it. It's coming up in courts around the country. But you're the only one making it that I know of in Connecticut. Well, I'm calling right now on Stephanie Thomas, the Secretary of the State, our chief election official, to make the decision to do the right thing, to hold a hearing under her powers, under Connecticut State Agencies, Regulations, and Connecticut General Statutes, find facts as a fact finder. We're going to be right back. Alex Talbis joining us in studio to talk about law and policy and justice and injustice. Stay tuned. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to the show. Alex Talbis is here with us. I have a lot more to talk about with you, Alex, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about your office. How many lawyers are there? How many paralegals are there? So I had I usually have an associate. My associate just left, and I'm hiring a, a new one currently right now. So usually two lawyers, but right now just me. 
I have three paralegals, um, two of whom are men who were formerly incarcerated, who I represented on sentence modification motions in the Connecticut Superior Court. Uh, one was convicted of murder, the other of manslaughter at very young age, like 20, 19 so they did, years old. So they, the, they did these They committed things? the crimes. They wow. accepted responsibility. One of them pled guilty. Um, they served over 20 years in prison. They got college degrees while they were in prison. They contributed to their community. They helped other younger prisoners. And after over 20 years, in both of their cases, a Connecticut Superior Court judge took seven and in the other eight years off of their sentences that were initially imposed. And they were allowed to reenter society early. And both of them, upon their reentry to society, uh, started working with me as paralegals. Uh, legal assistants. Both of them had taken paralegal courses while in prison, had gotten college degrees. And in the work that I do with many people who are incarcerated, gathering their mail, scanning it into the computer system, understanding which things are important, which things aren't important, offering that the client's guidance, they had a lot of really valuable and good experience that added a lot to my practice. There are also challenges as well. I have a third paralegal, Michael Murley, a, who's a legendary police accountability activist who also has helped them with their professional development, adapting to t technology and the office environment after so many years of incarceration. Is there any, I mean, for the families of the victims, I mean, what is that? Yeah, let me tell you a story. Tell me. One of my paralegals' name is Maddie Abraham, and he was convicted of manslaughter when he was 19, of manslaughter when he was 19 years old, and he served over 20 years in prison. And... We filed our motion. We went in front of a judge to see if the judge might reduce his sentence from 30 years to 22 years or 23 years. And the mother of his victim was present at his hearing. And when she came to the hearing, she came there to say that she wanted him to stay in prison. Okay. But she was there when my client spoke, when he apologized for what he did when he talked about how he feels for the rest of his life, he has an obligation to do things in the honor of the person whose life he took to try to make some kind of amends for what he's done. And then he gave examples, and then people who were incarcerated with him who've been out since spoke. Um, a psychologist who's been working with him for years spoke about his change. Um, people in the community, his, his own daughter, who had just graduated from high school, as valedictorian, having grown up her entire childhood only knowing her father through prison mail and prison phone calls, she spoke. Um, and everyone showed a lot of respect to the victim's family. The victim's advocate then spoke. She read a letter from the mother of the victim saying she was against my client getting out. And the judge was about to hang up the Zoom call when the mother of the victim said, I want to speak. And she said, I listened to what he had to say. He was a young man. Nothing's ever going to bring my son back. I want, I forgive him. I want him to come out. And I want him to do good things in the world. And the judge granted the motion. So not all, not all victims feel the same way. I mean, we can't expect anyone, Correct. of course, to ever feel Correct. that way. Right. But they don't always feel the same way. Mm -hmm. In Daryl Valentine's case, when we went in front of the parole board, the family of the victim said, you know, we've 
read about this case and the evidence, and we don't know if he's truly wrongfully, con- rightfully convicted, and we leave it to the parole board to decide. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are also victims' families who are against what we're doing, getting mm-hmm. people out of prison earlier. And I really value that they have a right to speak and be heard. Mm-hmm. And they should be heard every time. And we should do the effort to make sure not only that they can participate, but that they understand from the start that this is a possibility because it's always been a part of the system. It's not a new thing. That's true. Um, and from the start, people should be educated that you know, when a long period of incarceration is imposed, as part of our checks and balances, there's going to be the possibility that it could get shorter or that the person could get out. We're chatting with Alex Talvis. We're talking about criminal defense, and we're talking about justice and injustice in Connecticut. 203-333-9422 is our number if you want to call. Alex, I had also asked you on because your name appeared. It appears as if you are representing somebody, and as you said earlier, going in front of uh, Stephanie Thomas. Now, this is a political. This is truly, This is. it doesn't get more political than this is in asking our Secretary of State to keep somebody from the ballot. Uh, Let's talk about the legal notion of standing, which is to say, who has the right to do this, in your view? I believe that a lot of people do have the right. I mean, in Connecticut has a very rich tradition of ballot ballot access challenges. Okay. I mean, remember our Lieutenant Governor, Susan Beisowitz, when she tried to run for Attorney General. Yes. um, The Connecticut Republican Party vote... uh, filed a lawsuit against her. Oh, they were the ones that uh, specifically said that she uh, can't make didn't it. qualify because she didn't pay the dues as an active lawyer. And as a precedent, that would seem to suggest that the Connecticut Democratic Party or any other similarly situated and organization... let's just say that they were successful. We should we should put that out there, that Ms. Bysowitz did not, in fact, run. She was not allowed to run. She was not allowed to run for attorney general. Judge Sheldon had said in the trial court, let her run, and the Connecticut Supreme Court said... No. no. <laughs> and, right. and, and frankly, it was a decision that I think had a lot to do with Susan Bysowitz being a woman and having a position that started with the word secretary. Because the idea that she was an, not an active member of the bar and lawyer as the chief legal election officer of the state, to, in my mind, was absurd at that time. But as a precedent, it stands for... Connecticut has strict rules. It, ha- it had to do with the fact that she exempted herself on a document <laughs> on that you and I sign every year when we spend $600 for an occupation tax, which the state of Connecticut is the highest in the country. By the time you add all the different, it is the I highest know, in the it. country. I, I do too. It. And we have to file something that says whether or not we are actively engaged in the practice of law. And because for what she wanted to skip to $600... <laughs> For all those years, Alex, that's why it was a very strict letter of law interpretation. I don't think it had anything to do with the fact that she was a woman, for the record. I don't agree with you. Uh, but in any event, it was what it was. It was harsh, but it was what it was. And and I think that harshness should stand now for Donald Trump. In what and way? Sh- and we should be Explain. very strict. Letter of the law. The Constitution says what it says. Section 3 of the Constitution clearly states if you shall engage in any insurrection or rebellion or provide aid and comfort to the same you cannot hold any office of the united states offices of the united states must include the president article two talks about the presidency as an office of the united states so here's the issue obviously and the issue is 
Who gets to interpret that clause, and who do you think do, does get to interpret that clause? Well, I believe the courts interpret the Constitution words like insurrection or office all the time. Judge, mm-hmm. you, they do. you interpret laws and do. rules and words and, and statutes in the Constitution. But not a Secretary of State. No, I believe the Secretary of State needs to initiate a judicial process through the declaratory uh, hearing and ruling process, which exists. So under you're the basically statutes. asking her because she's the official who decides, literally, almost the way Mike Pence was the certifier of the election. She's the official person who decides who's on the ballot. You're basically throwing it to her and saying a judge needs to decide this. Well, I, in the first instance, the administrative hearing officer will actually hear from the state interested parties, the Trump people, if they choose to appear. And the hearing officer will make findings. Okay. Trump would then have the option of appealing it to Superior Court if it was against him. Okay. And this is why we really need Stephanie Thomas to do it, just to get into the law geekery here. Yeah. Is in an administrative hearing, there's discretion to find facts. Mm -hmm. And then on appeal, there's a deferential standard of review of those facts. Okay. So I would much rather see Stephanie Thomas take the action and have a hearing in front of a hearing officer and get the factual findings. But what kind of factual findings is she going to be able to make? I mean, this issue, this literal issue of whether or not Donald Trump engaged in insurrection is something that is coming before a criminal tribunal in connection with a federal investigation and a grand jury indictment. I I don't think any of the indictments have to do with insurrection. He's not been indicted for insurrection. The the D.C. indictment has to do with the disenfranchisement in Georgia and Detroit and things like that. So I think that this is independent. But in terms of how you find facts, my guide to how you would find the facts is in the House Select Committee's report because that report was aimed at, in my view— Oh, the one that the, the hearings that we heard, um, yeah. Liz Cheney, et cetera. But Liz Cheney, she signed the report mm-hmm. in the end, a bipartisan report, which I concludes it concludes Donald Trump engaged in insurrection by its letter. So you can just follow that roadmap. It's a completely logical document with facts contained within it. They're matters of public record. The phone calls that they include that Donald Trump made are transcribed, certified transcriptions of his phone calls, of his words. He's a party opponent. Those are admissible. And they can establish facts that he engaged in insurrection. And on a deferential standard of review is what we want when we go to the U.S. Supreme Court, because one of the 50 states probably will For rule sure. against him. And it needs to be For a blue sure. state that does it in an administrative proceeding so that the deferential standard of review, so that the U.S. Supreme Court can't do something so unprincipled like Bush v. Gore, or that if they do, we can more clearly see it. Because obviously one of the justices Trump appointed will have to rule that he's ineligible for him to not be on the ballot. Because you believe that Alito and Thomas will not. Correct. That's why you just said that. Correct. And he appointed three. Yeah. It's going to make its way, Alex Talbis, to the Supreme Court, without a question. In my view, Michigan it's is doing it, a couple of places. You, you think it's 50 50? Yeah. I, you I don't, don't think the Supreme Court will take it? Or Supreme you don't think Court a only judge... takes it if, some, if a state bumps him. Right. If, he, if say, it bumps him, they have right. to take it. So you're not sure any state will actually Correct. Bump him. I don't know I that any's going to bite on it. Me yeah. neither. Because it's a it's a risky proposition, very risky for especially for politics. And if you're in a blue state where you might be able to pull it off, it doesn't really benefit you 
unless you were to prevail at the Supreme Court because you kind of want him on the ballot in Connecticut driving out the, your voters on Election Day. You know, if you're a Democrat office holder, if you're sitting in Newtown or Fairfield running for state Senate as a Democrat, I kind of want Trump on the ballot. Interesting. <laughs> so that Interesting. My, so that my mar- women marchers come and vote for me. I hear even you. Though, you know, Inter- so, yeah. so as a matter of strategy, Keep you're not sure who is the... Who is the party that would want this to happen? We want it's Ste- very interesting. We want Stephanie Thomas to see that if she's the one who does this, there's going to be people for the rest of her life who will always vote for her for anything. Because nationwide, she will be known as the woman who took a stand and enforced the Constitution against Donald Trump. And there was nothing he Alex could do Tabas, about it. What are her options? You've put something before her. What are her options? Well, I mean, she could take a more cautious route and issue an advisory opinion and say, if Trump, if, if on these facts an application for the ballot is presented to me, I'm going to reject it, inviting him to sue, right, and a declaratory action, invite him to sue. Another, and then basically when he does, if apply, then you reject him. Another, what we specifically asked in our petition is for to hold a declaratory ruling hearing which is provided for in the general statutes. It's, you know, 4-176, the Uniform Administrative Procedures Act, which I think you're familiar with, Judge. And the Secretary of the State has promulgated regulations under that for her hearings under that. But she doesn't have to do that. She could do something short of that. She could do nothing. I mean, it's her her office. It's her decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, She... Um, I think in in general, she's doing an excellent job and doing a lot of really great things for our state. This is something of bigger magnitude, perhaps, than any decision that any secretary of the state has to make. And I'm sure she's getting good counsel from our other constitutional officers, our attorney general and people like that. But I feel very strongly and I believe a lot of people feel the same way I do that this needs to happen, and it needs to happen sooner rather than later because the later it happens, the easier it is to invalidate Let me, let well. me tell you something, Alex Talbis. You're a, you're, a, you're a criminal justice attorney. You care a lot about civil rights. Why does it bother you that somebody like Donald Trump should be on the ballot? I'm going to make the argument that, uh, that people have the right to vote for or not vote for him, and so... Wouldn't you make the argument that leave it to the good people of Connecticut to decide whether or not they want him to win? Sure. Then let's amend the Constitution and remove the part that says insurrectionists can't run. Because, hey, why can't the voters of America vote Alex Talbis to be president? Because I'm not old enough. I'm not eligible. Is that a violation of my civil rights? Can I sue and I be put on the ballot just because I want to? one more year, Alex. Just one how more about, year. How about, how about my mother who was born in <laughs> Iran? And came to this country when she was 18 years old. Yeah, she who, can't do it. She can't run. Right. So Donald Trump gets the special privilege of the Constitution does not apply to him. No, I don't agree with that. It's the Constitution state. Here in this state, we should follow the Constitution. And the Constitution is clear. What he did on January 6, 2021 is clear. And so there really shouldn't even be much of a debate. If you want him on the ballot, amend the Constitution to let rebels and insurrectionists run. But we already decided that. They can't. Alex Talbis, thanks for being on the Lisa Wexer Show today. We're going to be following your cases and career with great interest, crusading young lawyer that you are. I'm Lisa Wexer. Thanks for joining us. We're going to be right back with more news you can use. Stay tuned. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com.